0: This is Laren Baker and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with pastry chef, instructor, and author, Gesina Bullock-Prado. You may know her from her show, Baked in Vermont, on the Food Network. Gesina has written six books on baking and recently released her newest book, this time embracing savory recipes as well, A Vermont Table, Recipes for All Six Seasons. I am so excited to welcome Gesina to the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I can see that you're all nice and cozy there in Vermont. I'm sure it's freezing because it actually, I'm here in the Bay Area and we had some snow, but I'm sure it's you nothing did. compared
1: to there. <laughs> That's so exciting. I know.
0: I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were
1: you? I don't remember the first thing I ever cooked. I remember the first big, big which is relative cake I made. It was for my mom. I must've been like nine and it was from the Winnie the Pooh cookbook. I and didn't it know was there the, was one. Yes. And it's called like the hippie pappy busteth busteth cake. It's a, it's <laughs> a cutest little birthday cake. I just remember just being so charmed by that book. First of all, cause it like it was a fantasy land and being so excited to make something from it for my mom for a birthday. So that's the first thing I really remember like beginning to end, making something. And I think it's even more memorable because for for someone I loved so much.
0: Oh, I love that memory. And I need to, I wonder, do you still have that book?
1: (laughs) I don't No, I think I've tried to find, like, I'm sure we can get it now on on the internets. (laughs) So I have to, I do have to get myself another copy of it.
0: Yeah, you must. That's, that needs to be part of your collection. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So before you moved to Vermont, you were living somewhat of a quintessential Hollywood life. Could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What brought you, first of all, to the world of culinary and pastries and baking, and then eventually to the Green Mountain State?
1: Yeah. Well, I've been baking, obviously, since I was very small. You know, Winnie the Pooh started (laughs) it all. But I've been obsessed with sweets, pastry, everything. So whenever I had a chance, I would try to get my hands dirty in the kitchen. And then through college and through law school, I bake my way through it and I passed the bar, I am convinced, not because I studied for it, but because I baked my way through it. I I essentially put myself I put myself through consistently, like I would get the CIA school cookbooks and like the cordon bleu. And I would essentially put myself through school culinary school and pastry school in my own kitchen. And it was my way of relaxing and finding a way to relieve the stress of having to study. So I just didn't study. I baked instead. And then I I passed, no problem. (laughs) And so I did the same thing when I was working in LA in the industry. I just, I, I didn't love it. And so I would spend the, my off hours baking. So that's primarily weekends. And not a lot of people eat carbs in LA. So, (laughs) you know, it was kind of like an underground situation for me, baking all the breads that I was baking. (laughs) But when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer, and I I would go back home to DC and take care of her, you know, the baking was front loaded. It's like, you know, when you need to have something and you need something that is comforting, that was always there for me. And after she passed, it was like she was young, she was, you know, healthy, despite the fact that she had cancer. Um, And it was just like life's too short, life's too short to do something that isn't making your heart happy and doesn't you don't find fulfilling. And so I thought this is, I know what makes me happy. Uh, I'd like to do this for a living and to make other people happy with what I do. Mm.
0: There's nothing like a trauma like that. I sh- I lost my mom at an early age due to cancer too. And I feel like that really shapes you and, into realizing what's important in your life and, and truly embracing, mm-hmm. in your case, food, in my case as well, probably.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> See? So, yeah, I think,
0: you know... Th- there's a silver lining there um, in terms they, of you enjoying.
1: Well, and finding your purpose in life mm-hmm. is always a, a wonderful thing. It just stinks when it has to come on the on the coattails of something sad. But I mean, a lot of people think of food as a pursuit of food as a career as a, a somewhat inconsequential way to pursue your life. And I see it just the opposite, that food is life, that it is an essential part of our literal existence. But it's also the backbone of some of our best memories. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that Proust and Madeleine are like kind of the touchstone of memory for humans. It's like, because food, and it, especially related to the people we love, is everything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can make someone happy and especially with pastry, I always say you don't celebrate a birthday and a wedding with a ham sandwich. You do it with a cake. <laughs> Although I would be totally down with a good ham sandwich, but but it is one of those things that when you are marking occasions that you that are important, you do it with with cake. You do it with something sweet and uh, special. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful being a part of other people's lives, celebrating these important moments.
0: Yeah, and. It's also a wonderful way to remember the the past moments too. It really is, yeah. Yeah, which I love that you've captured in your book so many memories and so many stories of your own family, um, as well as Vermont. But let's let's talk about these six seasons first in Vermont, because most of us just know four. Here in California, (laughs) I would argue it's two or three. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What are the six
1: seasons in Vermont? That you say you talking about California, it was one of the reasons that I was so taken by Vermont and that when I lived in California, I missed the seasons so much. Yeah. And not only did I get the lost seasons that I wanted, I got extras. <laughs> and, in Ver- and in Vermont, we have mud season, which we're uh, entering into now, which is that period between winter and spring when the big thaw happens. And since we have more dirt road than paved in Vermont they become mud during the thaw and you get stuck in the mire. So we can we can handle ice and we can handle snow, but driving in mud is something altogether different. So so it becomes this very like important time to mark. And in our news, <laughs> like last year we had one of the worst mud seasons. And oh. half the newscasts are about how many cars were stuck and for how long. They could be wow. stuck for days. But the good thing is, is that during mud season is that it's also sugaring season. So when you get that thaw and temperatures rise above freezing during the day, the sap in our maple starts running. So we start evaporating that sap into that gorgeous, gorgeous maple syrup. So, I mean, you you get the good and you get the not so good hand in hand. So, you know, it bounces out. And then we have stick season, which is between fall and winter. And we count fall as when the leaves are vibrant and at peak, which is a very short amount of time. And Mm -hmm. then one good storm will take that all away. And before the snow comes, when you just have sticks in the sky instead of these leafy trees, you get stick season. But that also coincides with Halloween and the spooky season. So it's kind of perfect, right? Because it's like eerie and cool and... The shadows are falling from all the bare trees and the mornings you always get this lovely fog that kind of that cl- clings to the grass. So it's perfect for making fun Halloween inspired uh, food, which yeah. I love to do. And I just love the names.
0: I mean, mud season, stick season. Yeah, They're not romantic, but
1: <laughs> they're very cool. It, 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 they are very realistic. Ads. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I've always wanted to experience a sugaring in Vermont or or anywhere there's sugaring. Can you tell everyone just a little bit more about what that is like? And then also what I was really interested to read about in your book is just the newer grading methods for maple yes. syrup.
1: Yeah. So sugaring, as I said, it happens when the nights are are below freezing and the days are above. And so all that starch that's been stored in the trees during the winter starts converting into sugars and starts, needs a release. So we tap literally by drilling a hole and then you pound in a tap where it can flow freely. So we sugar here just for ourselves. So we use the old school buckets. And if you are a sugaring, if you have a larger operation, you would use tubing and it's essentially a vacuum system where it vacuums the sap out of the tree. Mm-hmm. It takes 40 gallons of sap to make 1 gallon of maple syrup oh. and to do that you evaporate it. You put it under you you put it over a fire and evaporate the excess moisture. And depending on when you are in the season, the percentage of sugars within that sap varies. The later in the season, the higher the percentage, mm-hmm. which leads directly to the grading, which is from very light to very dark. And in Vermont, it used to be rated by an A, B, C, D scale, mm-hmm. which if anyone would look at that, would think that A is good, D bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when that is not the case at all. Instead, what happens at the beginning of the season, the, the maple is lighter. So you get that beautiful light amber. And then as you get to the end, it gets very dark and very maply. If you are a local, you go for the darker syrups because the flavor is just intense and gorgeous. So they just changed it to actually describe the color rather than an A through D system, which kind of made it sound as if the darker, the worse it was. When in fact, that's not true at all. That's
0: so interesting. I know that out here, it's really hard to find anything past B. (laughs) So what would is B considered amber or is that
1: considered it is yeah it is an amber it's not the golden and it is it is it's still flavorful very buttery but if you were a local you would be going for the dark or very dark those are the two that are just and and are really available here obviously you can in the grocery store there is usually a whole section in the baking aisle just for maple products alone and then within that you get the full pantheon of like very light golden to amber to dark to very dark and so you get you get your choice how nice yeah. so
0: most people think okay maple syrup pancakes but what do you think of i mean first of all i love your recipe for the maple cider gummy bears and, and I need. I, I so think far. I really need to make that, especially because we're huge Haribo fans here.
1: Um, but what's your favorite too. way to use it? Uh, I my favorite way to use it is in everything and all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in chef life, um, we have kind of the, the set seasonings, which is salt. Uh, I don't consider pepper a seasoning. I think it's a, a flavor all on its own. Mm-hmm. But acid, obviously. Uh, you get your umamis in there. And then sweetness, sweetness is a seasoning. And most often people use granulated sugar from everything from dressings to sauces, to gravies. You know, it is one of those things that when you are making something and you know that perhaps the tomatoes aren't sweet enough, or there it just needs a balance. And sugar is usually what you go for. Or some people just use a, a simple syrup. Like maple is there for you. It is inherently natural. It is a superfood and it incorporates into foods instantaneously. So you don't go through that period of waiting for your granules to dissolve and potentially adding too much before you can taste what you've done.
0: But also there's that,
1: there's that backbone of butteriness uh, and just this lovely flavor that lends itself to savory cooking as well as um, sweet, you know, the sweet stuff, just putting it on your pancakes. But I, you know, from everything from, I put it on the sauce for my wings, when most people would, you know, or for pulled pork, where Mm -hmm. sugar is usually called for, or sometimes Coca-Cola, maple is there for you. And it's just the best accompaniment. And it is, it is like a purely a North American product is only we have, can make it. And I think that's so special that we have something that is so delicious, but so native to the Americas. And I'm like, let's celebrate it, let's use it because it is so special.
0: Yeah, that's so true. We forget that it's it's very overlooked, unfortunately. Um, well, savory recipes, after writing six books on sweets, how was it tackling the savory this time?
1: It was so fabulous. Oh, I loved it so much. <laughs> I had been asked because on my show, Baked in Vermont, I do both the baking and you know snippets from my baking school and I do savory cooking and which I adore, I love doing. And people really were compelled by my recipes and just the way I approach cooking as I approach baking, very openly giving all, all the tips and tricks. Uh, I love to share the hows and the whys. And so I was asked, to buy the people who love the show to write a book with those recipes. And I thought, oh, well, we'll see. And then I was approached by a, by the publisher and they wanted me to write a book uh, that had my approach to both cooking and baking. And I thought, well, I would love to uh, because I've been asked to and it's something that I enjoy so much. And I was able to write the book through the seasons because it is so granular as far as seasonal ingredients. I had to write it and take the pictures instantaneously (laughs) because it was like when it was done and my husband took the pictures. I mean, it's if you've ever written a cookbook, you know that it's usually this finite amount of time, a week or two at the most, where you just have to prepare everything all at once, hope it looks okay, hope it turns out well, and then you take all the pictures at once. We had the luxury of doing it throughout the season. So everything in the book is literally so natural in that it is truly in our environment. It is as we ate it, as I was making it. Um, and the other task I set myself was I didn't want to do any set dressing or um, anything that we wouldn't actually use in our own home. So it so was not like, every, it's like there were no extra props that would, would not exist right. in your house. <laughs> Everything in the book is literally how we eat at at our table because I wanted it to be honest. I wanted it to be like this true North look at how we approach food. Um, And it's called my Vermont table because it is how I approach food. It isn't like all you, it isn't that you have to live in Vermont to uh, bake or cook from this book. It's that you just have to be in the headspace of Vermont where you're like, you wanna be cozy. You want things to be a little more relaxed Mm-hmm. And you want to find the joy in simple things and i, I this is the book I wanted when I lived in l a This would have been my number one retreat when I was there, when I needed kind of that touch of the seasons when it was really weird and warm during kind of the winter months, and I wanted some I wanted to at least pretend there was a crackling fire mm-hmm. and i wanted I wanted to read stories and have recipes that would evoke that feeling even if I couldn't have that immediately in my environment. And, and that's kind of why I wrote the book too. It's like for me, when I was longing for these things, I'm like, this is. I am so happy with my life and where I live. And I know so many people always say that Vermont's on their bucket list and it's the most beautiful place in the world. And yes, yes, yes. Um, and But so here, here's this book I wrote for you when you can't be here that I'll bring it to you. I'll bring it to you no matter where you are.
0: Yeah no you it's captured beautifully. I was going to ask you how it was to work with your husband Ray and you know and I love that you were able to just photograph it at your leisure even though I know saying at your leisure sounds easy cuz it's not easy. <laughs>
1: it's well it's <laughs> relative right it is it was so much easier than it is to do it all at once in those two weeks yes. um and it's more natural and i think you i think it, i felt i feel anyway that it comes through in the book the joy that we had in working together the joy that we just have living here and that there's nothing false about what we present in the book this is literally our life and how we live and, and what we enjoy um the the one thing is that sometimes as I was working and developing recipes and like kind of getting, getting them finalized, when they were looking peak, sometimes he was not set up to take a picture, mm. but I am his wife and I can make these things happen. So I would, <laughs> I, I would, I would get him from his day job uh, upstairs in his studio and I'd say, come down now with camera. <laughs> <laughs> Everything looks perfect and he's great because I would have something I would have a vision of how it should look and he would come down because he is an artist he is a photographer and he was able to look at it and go yes and Uh (laughs) he was was able to say listen this is why the light here isn't perfect and this back like this is why this shouldn't be a three-quarter it should be an overhead so like he would we work together incredibly well not that there weren't some hiccups when I was being incredibly insistent and annoying, but we always worked it out. And, um, and the other fun thing is that he would always be there like when I would be harvesting, like he would come out with a camera and just capture moments of real life of yeah. like me getting plums for the tree, my goose mama uh, helping, you know, all those really fun things that bring so much joy to our lives here. Yeah,
0: it's it's beautiful. It's captured beautifully, and and you can tell that there is obviously a realism, and the lighting is just it's natural and beautiful. So I love it. I have to quickly touch upon your recipes that kind of hark to your German roots, um, because I've always wanted to make Bavarian pretzels, and ta-da, you have a recipe for Bavarian <laughs> recipes. Um, so I have to ask, how do you
1: celebrate Oktoberfest in Vermont? Is it huge it could- there? Well, yeah, the, we have such a huge craft beer um, populace here, and we've got some of, some of the best, if not the best, breweries in the world. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky there. So Oktoberfest comes very naturally to Vermont, and the fact that we also have a very similar growing climate. So it's a harvest festival. And our harvest kind of uh, coincides with just that time because Oktoberfest in Germany starts in September. A little earlier. A little (laughs) earlier. And it coincides with like the big harvest. So, which is the same here in Vermont because we have such a short growing season. But it also, you know, when I like everything from corn to radishes, uh, late season radishes, they all come out in in September. So I grow beer radish. Uh, Radhi for um, our Oktoberfest. I make the pretzels and then I make something called Obazza which is a cheese spread. So think of it as like a pimento spread but in my opinion better. Mm. And so in Germany you would use almost completely a, a camembert base for it but I add a little Vermont cheddar. Well, I'd say a lot of Vermont cheddar to it, um, <laughs> along with our local super creamy camembert. And so it's this really great cheese spread with a little paprika. It has a little hint of spice, just super tasty on just dipped with a pretzel and oh, just so good. So that good. sounds
0: incredible. Oh, okay. I'm definitely going to tackle that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I also have to ask you about... Um, Spätzle, because that's my daughter's favorite.
1: And I'm glad that you have
0: a recipe in your book.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. Everyone does Spätzle a little differently in Germany, they can be tiny little they're like almost little buttons. Mm. Um, my preference is for a longer noodle, uh-huh. <laughs> like a little more. And so it is, it's one of those great things that you can also dress up. So you make them, it's just so crazy simple. You make them, you boil them, and then you fry them in a lot of butter. Yeah, so good. And then you can and then you can add cheese or you can like add a little um quark to the actual base batter. But I just like them super simple and then just crisps crisped off a little bit with butter. So some of them are still soft, but some of, the, some of them have a little bit of crispness and then just pile it high on the plate. Like we like, yes, it's one of my favorite things ever. So comforting. Okay,
0: speaking of comfort, I also have to touch upon your story behind sister's gravy. you just tell everyone a little bit about that because it's so sweet
1: (laughs) (laughs) well my mom and my aunt both german uh but both who lived in the states uh when they married um thanksgiving they would make gravy and so thanksgiving wouldn't have been a meal that either of them grew up making so they both (laughs) had to adapt to that and they together came up with this recipe for gravy that is the best gravy ever However, one of the lead components in it is sour cream. And my uncle hated sour (laughs) cream, but he loved the gravy. So what they would do is they never wrote down the recipe what they would do is they would whisper what you could tell gravy was in the works when you would hear whispers in the kitchen because they would be like giggling and talking about the things that were added that were kind of illegal and that he would still (laughs) love it and eat it and that he must never know that there is sour cream in the gravy. And now my sister and I make it and we have the same kind of conversation with each other, not so much whispered, where we have to talk through whether we're together or we're apart we have these ongoing running conversations because no one ever wrote it down about what we're missing. And so we will, the days leading up to Thanksgiving, check in with each other to make sure that we have all the ingredients. We always have sour cream because that's pretty hard to forget. But there are other ingredients that are really special that like from capers to maggi to, you know, all the horseradish I saw horse too. Radish, yeah. Horse and the, and the creamy horseradish.
0: Uh-huh. The little
1: things that just give it, tons of flavor and just ah oh, it's just so delicious but missing one of them can turn the whole thing sideways it'll still be good but it just won't be the sisters gravy yeah. so it is it is the kind of thing where you have these you have a conversation it's it's this the perfect thanksgiving recipe because it requires you to have a connection with someone else and so i wish for anyone who makes the gravy to do it in tandem with someone else that you love Or share the recipe with someone who you love that's making the meal in another place. So you can talk to each other through the process, through the seasoning process, too. And like, you know, it's fun to talk and say, this is what I'm tasting. What do you think I'm missing? Uh, And just kind of go through that and have this bonding experience over food. I love
0: it. So speaking of sisters, I have to, well, first of all, maybe we should clarify or not Clarify, but there are maybe people out there who maybe did not make the connection that your sister is Sandra Bullock. Do you guys yeah. have any food, other food traditions that are just a must whenever the two of you get together?
1: I mean, our German heritage is usually the thing that is the backbone of our celebratory meals. Mm-hmm. And so things like Spitze and, um, and our mom's gravy, which is not German, but clearly has the backbone because it's the two German sisters mm-hmm. who invented it things like that that are just remind us of the people we love the most and who might not be with us. So it's a, it's a way of conjuring family um, when they can't be with you.
0: Yeah. That's exactly how my sister and I seem to cook too. And we we just try to recreate those, those memories from childhood, which is so fun. Okay. One other thing that I have to ask before I let you go, because we're (laughs) getting close on time. What's your
1: favorite season out of the six? I, you know what, that's the great thing about having six is that once you're sick of the one you're in you, the next one is your favorite. Mm. So right now we have, we did start sugaring a little early, but now it's going to get below freezing. It's going to be like negative five. So sugaring has stopped. So right now everyone is just jonesing for full on mud season so that, all the sugar shacks can be cranking out that lovely scent. I mean, all the woods are scented with maple syrup because everyone's evaporating and that steam. It smells like maple syrup. So it's like twining its way through the trees. (laughs) And it is such a short amount of time and it is so special. But then the second that's over, we're ready for spring and getting our hands dirty and watching things emerge. And I'm already thinking about it. I'm already thinking about, oh, I can't wait to find morels and ramps and mm-hmm. all those things that those spring ephemerals that are so fleeting and so delicious. And it's the best treasure hunt ever to find those things. So uh, my answer is all of them. <laughs> good answer it makes me want
0: i was actually in vermont a few months ago i want to go back it's such a beautiful beautiful place and i don't go enough so
1: it is well if you need a hit of vermont just open my vermont table
0: yeah even better (laughs) i don't even have to wait (laughs) before i let you go Cassina, i just have some few closing questions what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an emergency go-to meal
1: one thing that I whip together really fast is my gooey mac and cheese. I do a really fast single version. Like if if I'm on my own and I just want something comforting, I will do that in a very small version. And I'll add some fresh peas to it and a little bacon. Because for me, there's something so comforting about that. The ooey gooey mac and cheese is just... For me, it's fast. I think for a lot of people, it might be a, because it's a bit of a bechamel oh, uh, yeah, yeah. to do. yeah. But it's so much better like than out of a box. <laughs> it's so much better. But I also do add a little bit. I have a lot of ingredients in there that lend themselves to the great cheese in there, the cheddar not breaking, those mm-hmm. emulsifiers. So there yeah. is a little American cheese. There is evaporated milk, those things that will create um, a sauce that doesn't get chunky and weird. Um, which tends to happen?
0: Yes, oh, that's the worst part when you yeah. when that does kind of separate and get nasty.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? I think the recipes I treasure the most that uh, that were handed down and that our mm-hmm. uh, that are consistently made. So obviously, my family recipes or ones that I have created based on. On memories, or on childhood memories, or just family memories, and then those that have been handed down to me from um, friends here, like the maple cream pie, which my friend just handed me this old recipe, and it was so special, and you could kind of feel the history behind it—not only the Vermont history, but the family history. And my um, there's some apple squares that I had at my friend's cabin. And it was just one of those things where it is their family tradition to, that the mom makes these apple squares and she puts them in the freezer and then they eat them straight from the freezer. Ah. And when we sat down to eat them, I was like, this is weird. I'm not so <laughs> sure about this. And I was like, but I was being polite. I'm like, yeah, sure. And people get nervous when they're serving me things because uh, they're, because I'm a pastry chef and I'm mm-hmm. a baking instructor. And, and, and so, I, I try. So I will eat anything you put in front of me just so you and say it's good because I don't want you to feel that nervousness. As it turns out, they were so good. <laughs> were so good, frozen. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fabulous. And so when I was writing this book, I asked for that recipe if it was okay to share it because it was one of those things that took me by surprise. Yeah. And it's so steeped in memory for me of my friends and their tradition and being so thankful for them allowing me to be a part of this. And now it's a part of my memory banks too. I just think that's so special.
0: Yeah. I love when those, you can create, you know, new memories from other people's family memories and incorporate it into your own lives. I have so many recipes like that too. And I love that whenever you make it, it just reminds you of those friendships and yeah, it keeps, it keeps memories alive. Yeah. So are you a messy cook or a neat cook?
1: Uh, I'm a messy cook. I am a neat baker.
0: Ah, interesting. Okay. And what's a good kitchen tip that you can share?
1: Well, I think investing in small wares like offset spatulas and uh, tools that will improve what I think are the the hardest parts of cooking like a sous vide that will improve your fish game, your protein game, so that you can get the temperatures right on point for the middle of say it's like the Wellington, the tenderloin to the very Mm -hmm. edge of it. I think not being intimidated by those tools and knowing that bringing them into a home kitchen it makes life easier and better and your food elevates your food. So don't be scared of like tools that especially this sous vide that sounds so like intimidating, right? And it's used in Michelin star restaurants. But you can store it in a drawer. It's easy to use. You just, the internet is replete with ways (laughs) of using it. Um, Especially if like you tend to overcook fish, get yourself a sous vide. Uh, Or if you make fried chicken or steak, get yourself a sous vide. It's a great thing.
0: Mm. Oh, interesting to use it with the fried chicken. Smart, yeah.
1: Well, I call it the, the hidden protein when it's something that is naturally coated and that you cannot poke it or see uh, whether it is done to your liking. And so a lot of people tend to over fry it so that the coating becomes that kind of burnt oil mm. or they put it into the oven to like make sure that it's, uh, you know, cooked throughout and then it gets dry. So I find sous eating it just under. And then doing the perfect fry will get you to the juiciest interior and the best light and crispy exterior. It's the it's the best of both worlds. And you will not murder anyone by undercooking chicken. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's a win-win. Yes, totally. That's Unless so that's smart. what you want to do. No. <laughs> you can write that hallmark uh, murder mystery if you like. <laughs>
0: So every Friday, I try to share five little things, something that made me smile. Is there anything that made you smile this week?
1: I think when I'm teaching on the weekends, when my students out one of the windows, when they see my mama goose, who comes to say hi, she's very curious, when they just drop everything they're doing, and they all rush to the window, (laughs) uh, because mama says hello, and she's just like, she'll sit there in the snow, and she'll give everybody a wink, and it's cutest thing ever. And that it not only makes me happy, it makes everyone in, in the baking school happy.
0: Oh, that's so fun. Well, Cassina, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you for spending time with me. And where can people find you
1: and your book? Or books. Well, <laughs> my, well, the book is available wherever you, you buy your fine books. My, my preference is that you go to your local bookstore because I love, I love supporting local bookstores. But of course, it's always on the internet. So you can just check it out. My Vermont Table. It's, it's on Amazon. It's on all, Barnes and Noble, Target, you name it. It's there. Well, thank you again. I
0: cannot wait to cook and bake my way through your book and experience Vermont here in California. So thank you. Thank you. After this chat, I am even more excited to cook my way through the six seasons and have a little taste of Vermont here in California. I can't decide what to make first. I may have to start with those Bavarian pretzels, but she also has incredibly detailed instructions for sourdough bread. And after talking fried chicken, I may have to do her fried chicken sandwiches too. Thank you again to Cassina for joining us today and to you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.